Well, hello, everybody. This is Jeff Morton, one of your hosts for Returning to Eden. And uh, Dr. Dina Dye is joining me this morning, so we would like to welcome you to our podcast on Podbean. Uh, hi, Dina. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, it's been a while since we've gotten together doing this, but, you know, both of us have been extremely busy. And uh, <clears throat> we're going to talk a little bit about that. I do want to mention, though, too, before we get started, about our conference coming up uh, where you're going to be here in the Washington area in September with uh, Professor John Walton. You're going to be doing uh, uh, September the 8th. Walton's going to be September the 7th here in Puyallup, Washington. Uh, it's actually the same time as the Washington State Fair, but uh, it's going to be a busy time for everybody. We do have... Uh, we have a goal to reach as far as uh, people. We have 125 seats. We're probably looking for about 75 of those seats to be filled uh, here in the coming days. Uh, so we want to get the word out that the Lost World Conference is coming up. It's going to be held here in Puyallup, Washington. You can go to jeffsmorton.com. You can purchase tickets. Uh, you can do it one of two ways. You can purchase tickets for both days, which is $45. Or if you just want to come to one event, if you want to just come to see doc, Dr. Walton or Dr. Dina, you, there's a fee for each day. So we're hoping you come and listen to both of them. Uh, it's just a two-day event. There's not going to be any lunch, or excuse me, we're not going to have uh, child care, and we're not going to have, we're not going to feed you, but there's plenty of food around the location. All that information is on jeffsmorton.com. So we hope to see you uh uh, there and we encourage you to go ahead and register sooner rather than later because, uh, believe it or not, and I'm trying to be as transparent as possible, your registration fee helps us make this happen. So, uh, with that said, uh, we certainly appreciate your prayers. We're looking for contributions. Anyone uh, want to contribute or maybe help someone else attend? You're welcome to do that. Just simply go to jeffsmorton.com and all of that information is there. So thank you. And now, Dina, you are you're busy. You have uh, Revive coming up. You have Love for Israel and a couple other things in addition to this world you jumped into. If I knew what I was doing ahead of time, <laughs> one of those stories. No, it's been a very busy few months, you know, starting back in February when I got involved politically in our, our area, New Mexico. Uh, I put out that little video talking about how the state was being flushed down the toilet and what we needed to do. One thing led to another. I eventually connected with APIP, the American Pro-Israel PAC, and the folks there attended an event down at Mar-a-Lago, the president's home in March, March 15th, met some wonderful folks, and learned more about APIP, and we'll talk about that as we go through the program. And then fast forward, I just was at another event down at Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach. Also, uh, Rabbi Feldman's conservative synagogue there. And had an opportunity as well to meet some more people and to get a better understanding of what APIP is doing. And it, it, it's just, uh, it's amazing what's going on and it's just moving at such a rate. So we, we want to sort of educate you a little bit about APIP and encourage you there. Also talk a little bit about the On Fire Prayer because I'm connect, I've connected On Fire Prayer to APIP. Part of our mission is to pray for them because what they're doing is so important. Key in all this is the, the bringing unity to the evangelical Christian world and the Jewish world because we have 
an amazing opportunity right now. There are a lot of Jews pretty fed up with the Democrat Party. <laughs> and the Democrat Party is pretty well turned anti-Semitic. And we've got people like Omar and AOC popping up saying stupid stuff. So the Jews uh, are, may well be looking for a new home here. So up until now, we've had a PAC, which is a pro-Israel PAC. However, uh, it's, it's pretty liberal. And so now here we have a con Jew, uh, conservative PAC espousing Judeo-Christian values and pro-Israel. And so this was the brainchild of Jason Sullivan. He had a vision, dream one morning, woke up and just you know put it into action. So being down in Palm Beach at uh, Rabbi Feldman's synagogue, we had a number of other rabbis there. Rabbi Shiner, who's the Orthodox rabbi, and we had Rabbi Shmuley Boteach, which fabulous guy. He's kind of like the rock star rabbi on the planet today. <laughs> and and this and the evangelical Christian community. We had some wonderful representation. Um, Judy Jacobs and her husband Jamie Tuttle were there. Uh, Pastor Mark Burns, who is Trump's personal pastor, and uh, I don't know, Billy Brim, Dr. Billy Brim was there, Mark Biltz was there, um, who else do we have? Just, it was a wonderful event, and... Well, I you had Dennis Prager there, too. He's well, I was going to get to the keynote speaker okay. here, uh, Dennis Prager, but the, uh, the point I wanted to make first was that there was just an incredible, I sense, just an incredible unity between the two that... Every, you know, we all have our way of acting out, I guess. But uh, it seemed like it just was, it came together in a very special way. So the, the, the keynote uh, for the afternoon and the evening was Dennis Prager, who's, you know, my hero. I just love the guy. And I got to just sit in front of him and listen <laughs> to him speak and was just fascinated and just delighted and so for me that was for me that was the highlight was being able to uh, to be able to hear Dennis Prager. One of the things one of the things that he said in the past that really moved me and it kind of goes to what you and I've been talking about. He said it, the question was not why is there evil in the world. The question is why is there good in the world. I think that is the most profound question to be asked and can only be answered by folks who understand the kingdom. Because that's the point. There's only good in the world through God's kingdom people. Those that have been redeemed and regenerated bring that which is him from inside us out into the marketplace and bring order out of chaos into the marketplace. And so that, I think, is probably one of the most important questions we could ever ask. The other thing that he said that really moved me, so a lot of our Listeners know I went to Ireland with my mother a couple of years ago. And uh, wonderful trip, wonderful people. But the thing that hit me the most about the trip was in Ireland, there was before the potato famine in 1845 and there was after the potato famine. And there really wasn't much other history, even though I Irish history goes back as far as the eye can see, the Celtics. But that was their ground zero. They had probably, I don't know, anywhere six, seven million people lived in Ireland before the potato famine. After the potato famine, of course, the, they were just decimated. Upwards of two million people emigrated to the United States, and people just starved and died, I mean, to the tune of millions. And their numbers are still not back 
to where they were before the potato famine. Mm, so everywhere you go and everyone you talk to, that's ground zero. And Dennis Prager made the point that ground zero for the Jewish people remains the Holocaust. There was life before the Holocaust. There was life after, well, there was, you know, there was a decimation after the Holocaust. Even though the Jewish people, the history goes back thousands of years, you know, all the way back to Abraham. And even though in Europe, you know, there's a, a long history there and back into the Middle East, everything comes to the point of the Holocaust. And that the Holocaust is in the DNA of the Jewish people. And it's as though they've experienced a PTSD that they cannot get over. And this is some of the reason why we have uh, Jews being Democrats, voting Democrat. It makes no sense to us. But if you put it back in its reality of everything is, came to that point, and the decimation of the Jewish people after the Holocaust is where they are, and I don't like to use this word, but that's, they're stuck there. And so how do you, you don't let go of that stuff. You know, if you're someone who's been a victim of any kind of, you know, abuse or whatever, or have suffered in war, PTSD, you don't, you don't let go. You know, you try to move on, you, you know, whatever, but it's there. And that's what it is for the Jewish people. And for me, that statement was a game changer. Well, I mean, we could apply the same conversation to, to the blacks, yeah. uh, you know, because the slave trade, the Arab slave trade, which most blacks know nothing about, uh, was like ground zero for, for, for the black community because had it not been for the Arab slave trade, slavery promulgated across Europe through the Dutch and the British would never have happened because the Dutch and the European world were purchasing the slaves from the caliphate. But for the, the amount of Africans who died uh, as a result of being enslaved, it was, it was millions. I mean, millions. And in America, we don't hear about that perspective of the slave trade. We don't understand the decimation that occurred on that continent. We tie it to the white man here in America right. and because we don't know that history. And so for me, that history is ground zero for the PSD, that, uh, uh, what is it, post-traumatic syndrome. Yeah, that seems to be the same reason hmm. many of the blacks are connected to the liberal pop, uh, the yep. Democrat machine. And I... For the life of me, and I know you will agree with me, it doesn't make any sense. It's like being connected to the chaos that killed you. Yeah. I don't get it. And, and again, the Democrat Party was part and parcel responsible for the rise, the, for the KKK and all of the brutality that happened to the black community in the South. And, and yet, black America votes. And I think... I think one of the things that stands out about APIP is that there's something changing yes. in yes. that mindset. And, and we see through Donald Trump's presidency something changing within the black community as well because people are starting to break free from the mindset that has so traumatized generations of folks. And I'm, I'm glad to see it. I'm glad to be a part of APIP. I know you are. You you jumped into this arena because you made a statement. You said, what good is knowing all of this information if we don't do anything with it? 
Well, Dean, I've been saying this since before I met you, you know. If, if you do absolutely nothing, then absolutely nothing will get done. So with all of the information that you and I have been, I've certainly learned a lot from you, but also since 2007, my attitude has been, my God, if we don't do something, nothing's going to change. It's just going to continue to get worse and worse and worse. And it has gotten worse and worse and worse. And so now you're in this political arena, and i got to believe you were political anyway, but now you're actively involved in making a difference. Speak to that. I've, well, I've always been, I've always had a bent towards that. I'm not really sure why, but back in the day, uh, in the 90s in particular, I was homeschooling my kids. I was very involved politically with, the, uh, with our local uh, groups here, and, you know, we spoke with the legislature often. We, we talked with the governor about homeschooling, was so very involved in that, and just sort of naturally moved out from there. I don't know, like I said, I'm not really sure why. <laughs> it feels like it's in the DNA. And I, you know, I grew up in Canada. I was about as political as an ant. I mean, I had no interest whatsoever. So, but for those who don't know, I was born in the United States. I have dual citizenship. So as a, when I was a young child in Canada, I always had a fascination with the United States. Didn't matter what. And so whatever the politics was going on in the U.S., even I remember, you know, probably sixth, seventh, eighth grade being more interested in the politics of the United States than I was with the politics in Canada. I actually was one of the few that learned the history of the United States because in Canada you didn't learn anything about U.S. history. You knew Canadian history such as it was, about 100 years' worth, and you knew all about, I knew every king and queen, you know, of, of Britain and France and who the heck cares, but I always had that interest. So uh, fast forward, like I said, I, once my kids graduated, moved on, got married and all that, and I really settled into working, doing my studies, writing books, focused on bridging the gap between the Gospels and the Epistles and the, and the Torah. But, you know, filling yourself with a lot of knowledge and information is a limited engagement because what you have to do with that is you have to exercise wisdom. So wisdom doesn't come just by infusing yourself with information. Wisdom comes by exercising that information in your life. And so also have been doing a lot of studies on the concept of wisdom and chaos, uh, wisdom producing order, uh, complete lack of common sense and political correctness produces chaos. So I, I feel the Father led me on that trail to understand really what's going on in our culture today because and Dennis Prager even talked about it as well. So the, the ultimate wisdom is the Torah. It's called the tree of life, and in the book of Proverbs it says wisdom is a tree of life. And it also refers back to the menorah. The light that comes from the menorah was to produce a light in the world. Order. In fact, isn't it interesting that light, the Hebrew word for light, is or, out of which we get order. So light brings order. And the chaos, of course, is the darkness. And so we are living, we are moving fast towards totalitarianism in terms of political correctness, identity politics, and multiculturalism. And so that, that is producing chaos because it, it doesn't come out of order and wisdom. It comes out of folly and foolishness. And in the Bible, 
when we call someone a fool in the Bible, it doesn't. It's not referring to the frivolous or the frivolity of of a person. It's talking about someone who's wicked. <laughs> and yeah, the word Naval. Uh, you remember the story of Nabal, Naval. So it actually isn't just oh he's a fool the way we think of it today. It, to declare someone a fool means to declare them wicked and outside the covenant. So the book of Proverbs is this contrast between wisdom and folly. And so I see that that's the way government operates. With the king seated on the throne ruling and reigning is either bringing order because he, uh, he is a benevolent king and he uh, recognizes righteousness and justice or he's a fool, wicked, evil king sitting on the throne and embracing and policies that are destructive. And so that's the place where we find ourselves. And so all of that study, Proverbs and Psalms and kingship and the garden, has led me to the natural place where we simply, this is, it's not any different in our government. You know, government was instituted by God. The thing is, who's ruling over you? Are they exercising wisdom or are they exercising foolishness? You know, I'm glad to hear you say this because, and, and you know, I, I get people ask me all the time, well, what is it about being a die that, that you are connected to? It's that very statement. I mean, for me, I, I began to see something happening in my own mindset about the political realities that we live in. And you said something a while ago. You said if it wasn't for Jesus or Yeshua proper and John the Baptist, they turned the political world upside down. And I have been saying for a uh, better part of 12 years now, if we take the conversation, the biblical conversation, and we take it out of a religious, uh, you know, kind of exegesis, if you will, and put it into more of a political arena, and we start addressing the politics of the kingdom of God over mankind, then it makes sense. It becomes easier to see that the kingdom of God and all of the things that the Torah reaches out to try to teach us bring about that wisdom that keeps the chaos from spreading. On the other hand, the flip side of that is not too many rulers in political uh, sovereignty, if you will, have Torah as the backdrop to their understanding on how to govern. And so exactly. we as a community on this planet, uh, and, and I'll say it this way, we're, we're in chaos because if we kept the laws of the kingdom of God, we'd had no reason to keep reinventing the wheel to correct man's behavior. I believe very much so that the governance of God is where everything has to be restored to because we're completely chaotic in how we perceive kingdom authority. We don't understand why God calls his kingdom is coming. We don't under we really don't understand that because we have a, a system of division within religious conversations that keep us from ever getting to that place. It's it's like um it's like when we're talking about the kingdom of God, we we really don't understand that this is a political structure that protects life and every legal covenant adopted by the king is for that benefit. And we don't see it that way because we're out here trying to filter through all the chaos to get back to that place to be restored to order. And, and I listen, see that as clear as a bell, Dina. Yeah. I mean, Yeshua didn't hide. You know, we have modern Christianity. 
And uh, N.T. Wright was addressing this really since Albert Schweitzer, this sort of end of the world scenario filtered into the culture, the Christian culture, and then people wanted to just, you know, hide, run away, and wait for the or end prophesy. of the world. prophesy. Yeah, till they could just go to heaven kind of thing. <laughs> but you think about Yeshua, I mean, he walked among, I mean, he was, <laughs> he was spent a whole lot of time in the temple. And those guys running the show, Honest, the high priest, and his, uh, you know, he was the godfather over Jerusalem at the time, and he installed his family members to be high priests. He pushed back against them, as well as the Pontius Pilate. And, Her you know, he didn't, he pushed back. He didn't stay in his little home in Nazareth and go, well, isn't this nice, you know, the Galilee's a wonderful place, and I'll just have my ministry here he you know he went into the line he went into the hornet's nest of at, in jerusalem in the political world and he pushed back and he spoke out against it and he gave us principles to operate by which go back to their torah principles they that this is this is the wisdom of the ages one of the things that we've got you know with the conference coming up in washington dr john walton i mean i'm just flabbergasted. <laughs> I'm so excited I can't hardly stand it. And uh, Dr. Walton came out, you know, he's got the Lost World series, Lost World of Genesis right. 1, Adam and Eve, uh, The Flood, etc. Scriptures, and now yeah, the Torah. Um, so now he's just come out with the Lost World of the Torah. And I know that there are many who probably read the book and not quite understand what he's saying. But when I read it, it was total confirmation of the journey that I have been on and and exactly the purpose and function of the Torah. And we have to face reality. Much of it cannot be observed today. Uh, we don't have a functioning temple, and we don't have a functioning priesthood. We have very little. Even the festivals are, in, in a way, difficult to... Uh, we celebrate them more as, as... How do I put this? Part of it's traditional, and part of it's as a remembrance of what... The Torah declares, but it, it it's impossible to celebrate it or observe it in the way that we have in the Torah. So now, what do we do with all that? And that was that's the point, because this the Torah is the foundational wisdom. Op, it's the operating. Uh, this is how we function. This is how we operate. And so we take from that wisdom to be able to make decisions and guide our daily lives. And so he really talked about that in his book. I just thought it was brilliant, and I, in my mind, I think it's one of the most important books written uh, in a long time. If you can read it with open eyes and not, ha you know, remove your biases and what your, you know, your pre, don't prejudge it, but if you will let the word, you know, speak to you. So this concept of wisdom has really got me going. And so then to, <laughs> to hear... Dennis Prager speaking in the same way was kind of, what, did you steal my notes? I mean, it was, it was just, uh, it was amazing. So uh, that's just kind of my perspective on this. Well, as I, you know, I've read several of John Walton's books, and, uh, you know, the paradigm for, for most people, and I do understand this, is we've had, we, have, we have a long history of religious interpretation, if you will, uh, when, but but as a backdrop, it's like this, Dina. If if you have within America, you have your Muslims, you have your Christians, you have your Jews, you have your Hindus, you have 
all, virtually every religious you can think of, including atheism. But all of those people who participate in those religions have to also abide by the, the laws of the United States of America. In other words, if we look, if we juxtapose the United States of America to, and I'm not saying that the United States of America is, but if we take the United States of America and just simply rename it the kingdom of God, God's not interested in what you believe. He is interested in your obligation to uphold the laws, the statutes, and the commandments of his kingdom, which is the entire universe, if you will. So you can believe whatever you want, but when you start moving away from the boundaries that protect life, then you go outside of the covenant structure, and I like to call it the constitutional structure of the kingdom of God. And it doesn't matter what religious system you believe, it matters that you understand the legality of the king and the kingdom. And all of it is designed to protect and promote life eternally. It's not a happenstance. It's not wisdom makes you smarter. It's these are the things that God has placed into all of humanity in order to make sure and ensure an eternal relationship with his creation. And once you see that, then you can kind of step above a lot of the religious, um, and I, I don't like to use religion as a bad word, but we've turned it into a bad thing simply because it has one thing in common in, outside in the chaotic world, and that is division. It supports and promotes division in our, in our lack of biblical understanding about the laws and the authority that God has placed in the world. I mean, you can throw a bowling ball off of a building, it's not going to go up. In the same way, God's laws and the legal statutes by which he governs life are not going to change simply because we refuse to adhere to them. Well, and that's the thing about the Torah. It is, uh, it's almost like natural law. So, and it's, it creates a boundary around to protect you. And so the, the, the essence of the Torah, again, is wisdom. And it is, an, it is a natural flow from the mind of God. And so when you violate and you, there are consequences to not upholding the biblical principles that are espoused in the Torah. They are the natural consequences. You can do, you can think you can do it, anything you want and make it go away and make it be different, but there are natural consequences to violating the commandments of God, and then we have to live under it. So I was just reading this morning, we, uh, one of our prayers we sent out on, on fire prayer was dealing with the sex trafficking thing, which is so beyond, huh. I, I don't even know where to file it, but going back to China and India, who have over the course of time now aborted upwards of 71 million babies, mostly girls. Girls. So we yeah. have an entire population in China. There's no women to marry. Right. These, the, the, these roving men, now they can't possibly be fulfilled. They can't, they're God-given, um, well, I can't even think of the word, but they're, they're supposed to reproduce after like kind and reproduce children, and that is the natural order of the universe, wisdom personified. And they can't do that, 
so now, you know, this is, we, we end up with rapes and we end up with the sex trafficking trade. All of the stuff that we have done to violate the essence of the Torah, which is what you just said, is life, is producing chaos in a way we can't even imagine. I mean, that's just over there. And now we see the sex slave trade thing taking root here because here is where there are women. So, it, it, and just what's going on in the board, I mean, all of it is just mind-numbing. And it's the, we're seeing before our very eyes exactly what happens when you violate biblical principles. And there is no way around it other than to restore biblical principles in the marketplace. And that means we have to have leaders who operate under biblical principle and make policy. The number one focus of any policymaker is to uphold and restore the human family. We have totally destroyed it through the leftist, progressive, radical, whatever you want to call it. Through their policies, we have upended the human family. And look what it has left us. And so this is why I am so passionate about this. This is the only way we can turn... God, I've said this a million times, God is not going to wave a magic wand and make it all right. He is going to use his kingdom people to move out into the marketplace. And that means running for office. And that means supporting you know, office holders. And that means speaking out against these policies that are so destructive. And, and it really all goes down to me if you can't figure out what to support, at the very least, support the sanctity of the human family. Right, and so I, you know, there's so, there's so, it's so simple. It's so simple a concept. It, for example, and I've said this for a long time, Roe versus Wade ushered in the time when our children would start killing our children or each other on steroids. That's a natural consequence. When we said legally, constitutionally, that we don't value our children in the womb, then the value of our children born into that community doesn't hold the same sanctity for life. And so we see our children shooting each other, killing each other, hurting each other, on drugs, dying in the streets. We see a cavalcade of, of consequences for what? not protecting life in the womb. And when you talk about the sex trade, see, the average American, uh, I just recently asked a pastor from India, Pastor Joe, I said, Pastor Joe, would you say that the United States of America, the citizenry, is kind of in a bubble? They don't understand the horror, the absolute abuse of children around the globe. And he said, absolutely. And see, I've been to these uh, as far as the sex trade, Seattle has a huge sex trade because it's a hub for the Pacific. You know, you grab somebody's child here and you, you drug them up and they wake up in Singapore, they wake up in Taiwan, they have no way to get back and now they're just a piece of meat on the slave market and the American public, not getting into the details and all the grief, we have no concept that a lot of our children have gone missing not because they ran away from home but because they were enticed away from home and they're probably still alive and we don't know it. And that to me, I can't think of anything more horrifying and all of my children would tell you this selfishly. I don't know what I would do if one of my children disappeared and I had no idea what happened to them. 
I don't know how I don't know how a person lives beyond that. And unfortunately, there are a lot of families well, all across America who are living with that. The sex trafficking trade. I know we think of Thailand, Bangkok, you know, and where those places across the globe, but actually the number one place for sex trafficking is the United States. The United States of America. Last year, 150,000 young girls and boys between the ages of 9 and 13 were taken into the sex slave trade in the United States. We are the number one place on the planet, and they are being abused by American business, American businessmen, etc., and what's happened is because the family is falling apart. Think of a young girl in a family, you know, maybe there's drugs or some kind of addiction in the family or the father is in the home, there's a divorce, I mean, who knows. This young girl is already vulnerable and has not, doesn't have a good identity of who she is. So she runs away or sees something or hears, and, you know, innocently, goes off and then ends up in the sex slave trade and her family never sees her again. So it still comes back to the human family. The family, the human family is is the smallest unit in the universe and has the greatest impact on the culture, on everything. It's the building block of the universe. It has been the goal of these leftist, progressive, tyrannical, totalitarians to destroy the human family because now you're destroying the image of God in this world and you're destroying the very thing that is the glue that holds the kingdom, that holds the entirety of the earth together. And you destroy the force for good in the world and you replace it with this destructive force. So really, I mean, just think about divorce and welfare and addictions and, you know, I mean, on and on and on and on. So it's all... The very essence of the Torah is, is connected to the family, is reproducing after its own kind, is bearing fruit, and it is, a, it is the culture, the essence of life. And so that's it in its most simplistic way. You want to figure out how to make policy, it always should uh, uphold the family and the values of the family. I mean, you just think about, focus on the family. They got it, you know, what, 40 years ago. It's the key to everything. And, and folks, I hope you don't mind. Tina and I plan to go a little longer than our typical 30 minutes, so we hope you stay with us. This is an important conversation, and I know that Dina's, uh she's moved into the arena to, to kind of be a voice against the chaos, and I'm doing something very similar here in Washington State. Um, in fact, I, I'm trying to – there's a, several things that are coming together on my end here, I hope. Uh, I'm not really going to talk about them yet because I don't have any solid – things, but I'm not sitting in front of my computer on video having a conversation on Facebook about biblical matters for reasons. That's like asking yourself for a gigantic headache and then walking through the week with that same headache, and I've learned that. My, My role now is to get involved locally here and be a voice against this lunacy, and it is lunacy. What we have going on predominantly, Dean, and I know you'll agree with me across the state, across the states, is this, it's, it's like this, um, it's like a tsunami mm-hmm. of, of a progressive ideology that is trying to gulp up everything good and decent in America. 
and to destroy this nation and to destroy the people here. And there, how this is happening, how this, oh, I would, you know what, I'll say it differently. Why this hasn't happened in its entirety yet is because of the believers. Mm-hmm. It's because of the people that believe in the biblical truth. It's because of the people that chase after understanding the Torah, who've benefited from the gospel message. Now, if we could just kind of be restored to the way God purposed this information, then we have a fighting chance to take back the culture. And if, but, but we have to do it now. We don't have another 50 years because yeah. between radical Islam, between the left insisting on killing our children, minutes before they're born or even after they're born, between the same-sex marriage and the, and the transgenderism and all of these things that go against the very essence of life and nature, if, if we don't stand up collectively and cohesively, these people, are they don't stop. This no. movement is repeating, and it doesn't stop. It's non-stop. And that's really the adversity that we all face. But we have to be like David. We have to be like Deborah. We have to be those people of the ancient world who said, no, enough is enough. We have to do that. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's why Dina's doing what she's doing, and many, many others. But it's the ones that are sitting comfortably in their United States with their nine-to-fives and their retirement schedule and all these different things, who go to church and do all these, you have to be involved. You have to. When I hear Dina, and I know you will agree with me, I don't vote because we've already won the battle. I mean, I'm doing everything at that point in time to not punch that person inside of the temple. I'm, because I'm, I'm like, you have to be the army of the Lord. You have to be the one because God's not going to wave a magic wand and, and, and get rid of all those people. So I, I, I don't know how to get that point across. Well, we I just have to keep talking about it. We probably should kind of bring this to a close here. I, I think, I've, you know, as I've been praying, I'm, I hope people hear my heart. Uh, I hope they will help support us with On Fire Prayer. Just go to onfireprayer.com. We've been raising up team leaders and team members, and these are the kinds of things we're praying about. We're trying to do it in a systematic way. But I just, my sense was, the, the, I just felt the presence of the Father speaking to me because I, when I look out at it in the natural, I just go, this, these people have way more money, <laughs> way more influence. They are dedicated in the way that the, the, the church is not. They're in a, a quote-unquote unity. You know, nothing is standing in their way. And then here's, you know, the, the faith community just arguing over stupid nothing. things. But... I just, my sense was that the Father was just kept reminding me that it doesn't take, you know, every single person, but it takes people, he will use those who are dedicated, who are willing to to go through the suffering and the persecution and whatever it takes to defend the kingdom on earth, and that if those of us who are called, who, who sense the call, who are We'll discipline ourselves and prepare ourselves for what we need, a third great awakening. I mean, he has got to go before us. It must begin with prayer. 
we are trying to educate here and recognize what's going on, but without, without that, we're dead in the water. Because he can take a little bit of money and multiply it and make it great. He can take a few people and multiply them and make them great. And so I just want people to, to rest in that, to know that our God can do anything. And he is more than able. All he wants are his people to uh, submit, commit, and, and give of themselves to him to put him first in all that we do and to draw near to him daily and to get our marching orders and if we just keep that perspective then we will be effective out there we we do have to do some work we do need to educate ourselves we need to understand the problems and the policies we need to know what we're talking about you know the answer is it's in the bible is not an answer <laughs> but I want to encourage people that our God is faithful. We have seen, I mean, you all know that he has moved in your life in ways. Right. This is, when he came out of the tomb and was raised from the dead, that same power is, is moving amongst his people. So it's a time, even though, you know, it, it looks bad <laughs> and looked pretty bad before D-Day, um, it is a time for to be excited because we have been called by him. We are his army. And if we are ready and prepared, he will move through us in ways that you, we cannot even believe. And we will know that we know it's not us. It's him in us. So we kind of want to end on a good note. And, again, I want you, you know, APIP, both, I mean, Jeff and I are kind of involved with APIP, the American Pro-Israel PAC. Go to APIP.org. Donate. They need money. Let's be real. Our side doesn't have anywhere near the money the other side has. And consider down the road how you can volunteer to help. And this is a this is a great organization because it's a Judeo-Christian super PAC that supports Israel. It, it's pro-Israel and it's and pro-American, I might add. Pro-American, and so uh, we want you to get on board there if you can. Join my the On Fire prayer teams. And these are ways you can get involved. As far as um, as far as far uh, returning to Eden, uh, Vina and I have decided that when, when we can get together and do a program, uh, we're going to do that. We're, we're going to have John Walton. He's going to do an interview with us. All those things are coming up. In the meantime, we have lots of things going on. And so we've just decided to use Returning to Eden as a forum to kind of update, and maybe we'll do some teaching and, and all of those different things. Uh, but we're not, we're not trying to follow a schedule. We're trying to be more active and involved in our community, and that, that has taken priority over just about everything. So um, we, we could use your prayers as well. I know Dana's, uh, Dana's uh Dina's like being pushed out on the front line, folks, so please lift her up in prayer. And I'm trying to crack open some doors here in the state of Washington to kind of be a voice for what we all believe. And uh, I could use some prayer as well. Uh, we do. I couldn't agree with you more, Dina. Prayer has to be our front line place and position. Otherwise, we're going to get our butts kicked, and I don't mind telling you that. Okay, so Dina, it's good to have a show and get together with you. I know we talk infrequently like we use uh, more so now than before because you're busy. I'm and you've busy. got a lot of stuff coming up. <laughs> yeah. And, good. and I don't yeah. mind telling the folks I have to do, I'm doing a lot of catch up. 
And so for, for my personal life and the needs of my family, I've had to kind of pull back from a lot of things. So I'm focusing on that, and I'm focusing on uh, really being involved in trying to um, – well, I'm actually getting involved with CareNet here in Washington State, and also I'm getting involved with the political scene here. And Dina, I was going to say this earlier before we go. I've always been, since Ronald Reagan, politically – I'm always there. My mind is always close to politics. Um, I guess that's why you put us together. I, it's <laughs> interesting. You know, the black guy and the Jewish woman. Yeah, I you know, exactly. The two people that have had more doors closed in our faces that's than just right. about anything, and, and the, the Lord brings us together. And now we're the doing... vote Democrats. <laughs> yeah, I haven't voted, like I said. Um, I say this often. I think hell will be frozen and Satan will be begging for a blanket before I vote for a Democrat. It's just facts, folks. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, it is, is what it is. <laughs> this is Jeff Morton returning to Eden with my co-host, Dr. Dina Dye. We appreciate you folks. We thank you for listening, and God bless you. Uh, I don't have anything else, Dina. Nope. Shalom, shalom. We'll see you next time. Shalom, shalom. Bye-bye, everybody.